Welcome to the Halloween special. Christy, myself, and our wonderful, amazing friends, Kenny and Katie at the Haunted Heart Podcast, created a very special Halloween treat for all of you. We got together digitally and recorded a retelling of Ray Bradbury's classic, The Halloween Tree. If you don't know who he is, and you should, here are some facts about him. Ray Bradbury was born in 1920 and lived until 2012. He wrote a ton of amazing things, but Fahrenheit 451 is one of the more famous among them. He is a descendant of Mary Bradbury, who was one of the women who were tried at the Salem Witch Trials in 1692. As you are about to find out, his writing style can be best described as word porn, and we love it. We want to be transported, and this is what this story will most definitely do to you. 100%. So I would like to suggest, make a, a suggestion to our listeners who are about to consume this <laughs> Halloween special. Make it special. Give yourself some time. Find a comfortable place. Maybe engage in your Halloween decorating or your Halloween crafts or baking. Um, give yourself the gift of really getting invested in this story because it, it is a story that's going to take you on a journey. It's going to take you on a big arc and you're going to want to be there for that whole thing. So I'm just going to suggest that you do that. Find a comfy blanket, snuggle in and let us take you on an adventure. And because this is Snacks with Stein, we're, we're going to suggest our, our favorite Halloween treat that we would want to have um, while going through this. And honestly, as I'm thinking about it, I feel like I would want, ideally, probably like a bowl of popcorn mm. and some Reese's peanut butter pumpkins. Yes, the pumpkins are the best. Yes, and like maybe why do a they diet taste coke. So much better. They're so good. I don't know. I don't know why. They do. They do. They taste, taste amazing. Danielle, what what would your what would your favorite? What would your ideal be? It's hard because, but I think if I had to just go with first thought out of my brain, it's probably Mexican hot chocolate mm-hmm. and Mexican. Mexican wedding cake cookies that my grandma used to make us. It was usually so Halloween is eleven days after my birthday, and so she would always make me those cookies for my birthday. So they, I associate them with Halloween because it was around that time. So probably those I would have cookies and hot chocolate. That sounds delicious. So we encourage you find your favorite snack, settle in. And please enjoy our presentation of the Halloween tree, part one. It was a small town by a small river and a small lake in a small northern part of a Midwest state. 
There wasn't so much wilderness around, you couldn't see the town. But on the other hand, there wasn't so much town you couldn't see and feel and touch and smell the wilderness. The town was full of trees and dry grass and dead flowers now that autumn was here, and full of fences to walk on and sidewalks to skate on and a large ravine to tumble in and yell across. And the town was full of children. And it was the afternoon of Halloween, and all the houses shut against a cool wind. And the town full of cold sunlight. But suddenly, the day was gone. Night came out from under each tree and spread. Behind the doors of all the houses, there was a scurry of mouse feet, muted cries, flickerings of light. Behind one door, Tina Skelton, aged 13, stopped and listened. special wind this night, and the darkness took on a special feel, because it was All Hallows' Eve. Everything seemed cut from soft black velvet, or gold, or orange velvet. Smoke panted up out of a thousand chimneys, like the plumes of funeral parades. From kitchen windows drifted two pumpkin smells, gourds being cut, pies being The cries behind the locked house doors grew more exasperated as shadows of children flew by windows. Half-dressed children, grease paint on their cheeks, here a hunchback, there a medium-sized giant. Attics were still being rummaged, old locks broken, old steamer chests disemboweled for costumes. Tina Skeleton put on her bones and admired her reflection. I look amazing. All that time stitching on the spinal column was worth it. I'm so lucky to have Skelton as a last name. Everyone calls me Skeleton anyways. Perfect. Eight children made a series of beautiful leaps over flower pots, rails, dead ferns, bushes, landing on their own dry starched front lawns, galloping, Rushing, they seized a final sheet, adjusted a last mask, tugged at a strange mushroom cap or wig, shouting at the way the wind took them along, helped their running.
glad of the wind, or cursing youthful curses as masks fell off, or hung sideways, or stuffed up their noses with a muslin smell like a dog's hot breath, or just letting the sheer exhilaration of being alive and out on this night pull their lungs and shape their throats into a yell and a yell and a yell. Pigman! Skeleton! Gargoyle! Beggar! Mr. Death himself! They shook back from their conclusions, all happy fouled and tangled under a street corner light. The swaying electric lamp belled in the wind like a cathedral bell. The bricks of the street became planks of a drunken ship, all tilted and foundered with dark and light. Who's that? I'm a mummy. And who's the witch? That is a scary mask. I won't tell you. It's a secret. And what? No time. Trick or treat. Yeah. Shrieking, wailing, full of banshee mirth, they ran on everything except sidewalks, going up into the air, over bushes, and down almost upon yipping dogs. But in the middle of running, laughing, barking, suddenly, as if a great hand of night and wind and smelling something wrong stopped them, they stopped. Six, seven, eight? That can't be. Count again. Should be nine of us. Someone's missing. Pipkin. Pipkin's not here. Pipkin. He's never missed a Halloween in a million years. Boy, this is awful. Come on. In one vast swerve, one dog-like trot and ramble, they circled round and down the middle of the cobble-brick street, blown like leaves before a storm. Here's his place! They pulled to a halt. There was Pipkin's house, but not enough pumpkins in the windows, not enough corn shocks on the porch, not enough spooks peering out through the dark glass in the high upstairs tower room. Gosh, what if Pipkin's sick? It wouldn't be Halloween without Pipkin. And someone threw a crab apple at Pipkin's front door. It made a small thump, like a rabbit kicking the wood. They waited, sad for no reason, lost for no reason. They thought of Pipkin and a Halloween that might be a rotten pumpkin with a dead candle if, if, if Pipkin wasn't there. Why were they waiting, afraid for one small boy? Because... 
Joe Pipkin was the greatest boy who ever lived. The grandest boy who ever fell out of a tree and laughed at the joke. The finest boy who ever raced around the track, winning and then seeing his friends a mile back somewhere, stumbled and fell, waiting for them to catch up, and joined breast and breast, breaking the winner's tape. The jolliest boy who ever hunted out all the haunted houses in town, which are hard to find, and came back to report on them, and take all the kids to ramble through the basements and scramble up the ivy outside, bricks and shout down the chimneys and make water off the roofs, hooting and chimpanzee dancing and ape bellowing. The day Joe Pipkin was born, all the orange crush and knee-high soda bottles in the world fizzed over, and joyful bees swarmed countrysides to sting maiden ladies. On his birthdays, the lake pulled out from the shore in midsummer and ran back with a tidal wave of children, a big leap of bodies, and a down crash of laughs. The front door opened. Pipkin stepped out. Not running, and not wearing a mask. No mask, but moving like an old man almost. Pipkin! Hi, gang. His face was pale. He tried to smile, but his eyes looked funny. He was holding his right side with one hand, as if he had a boil there. Well, we ready to go? Yeah, but you don't look ready. You sick? On Halloween, you kidding? Where's your costume? You go on ahead. I'll catch up. No, Pipkin. We'll wait for you to... Oh! You had a stomachache? You told your folks? No, no, I, I can't. They'd... Oh, it's nothing, I tell you. Look, you go straight on to the ravine. Head for the house, okay? The place of the haunts. Yeah, I'll meet you there. You swear? Swear! Wait till you see my costume. On your mark, get set, go! They ran. When they looked back again, he was gone. They banged doors, they shouted trick or treat, and their brown paper bags began to fill with incredible sweets. They galloped with their teeth, glued shut with pink gum. They ran with red wax lips bedazzling their faces. But all the people who met them at doors looked like candy factory duplicates of their own mothers and fathers. It was like never leaving home. Too much kindness flashed from every window in every portal. What they wanted was to hear dragons belch in basements and banged castle doors. 
And so, still looking back for Pipkin, they reached the edge of town and the place where civilization fell away in darkness. The Ravine. The ravine, filled with varieties of night sounds, lurkings of black ink, stream and creek, lingerings of autumns that rolled over in fire and bronze, and died a thousand years ago. From this deep place sprang mushroom and toadstool and coldstone frog and crawdad and spider. There was a long tunnel down there under the earth in which poisoned waters dripped and the echoes never ceased calling, Come, come, come. And if you do, you'll stay forever, forever, drip, forever, rustle, run, rush, whisper, and never go, never go. The children lined up on the rim of darkness, looking down. And then Tina Skelton, cold in her bones, whistled her breath in her teeth like the wind blowing over the bedroom screen at night. She pointed. Oh, hey, that's where Pipkin told us to go. They ran down through the ravine at a swift rush, all laughing, jostling, all elbows and ankles, all steamy snort and roust about to stop in collision, when Tina Skelton stopped and pointed up the path. There! There's the only house in town worth visiting on Halloween! There! For it was true, the house was special and fine and tall and dark. There must have been a thousand windows in its sides, all shimmering with cold stars. It looked as if it had been cut out of black marble instead of built out of timbers, and inside, who could guess how many rooms, halls, breezeways, attics, superior and inferior attics, some higher than others, some more filled with dust and webs and ancient leaves, or gold buried above ground in the sky, but lost away so high, no ladder in town could take you there. The house beckoned with its towers, invited with its gummed-shut doors. Pirate ships are atomic, ancient forts are boom. A haunted house on All Hallows Eve? Eight small hearts beat up an absolute storm of glory and approbation. Come on! Boy, Pipkin sure knows what he's talking about. So, with a pseudopod thrust out here or there, the amoebic form, the large perspiration of children leaned and made a run and a stop to the front door of the house which was as tall as a coffin and twice as thin. They stood there for a long moment, 
various hands reaching out like the legs of an immense spider, as if to twist that cold knob or reach up for the knocker on that front door. Go on, Tina, knock! The entire house shook. Its bones ground together. Shades snap-furled up so that windows blinked wide their ghastly eyes. On the rooftop, weird weathercocks spun. Two-headed roosters whirled in the sneezed wind. A gargoyle on the western rim of the house erupted to twin snorts of rain-funnel dust. And down the long, snaking, serpentine rainspouts of the house, after the sneeze had died and the weathercock ceased spinning, vagrant wisps of autumn leaf and cobweb fell gusting out onto the dark grass. Inside the house, a long way off, someone was walking toward the door. Whoever it was must have been dressed all in black, for they could see nothing but a pale white face drifting on the air. An evil smile came and hung in the doorway before them. Uh, trick or treat? Trick? Treat? Yes, ma'am. No treats, only trick. What does she mean? No treats, only trick. Backing off around the side of the house, they were astonished at the sounds it made. They rounded the far side of the house and stopped. For there was the tree. And it was such a tree as they had never seen in all their lives. It stood in the middle of a vast yard behind the terribly strange house. And this tree rose up some one hundred feet in the air, taller than the high roofs, and full and round and well-branched, and covered all over with rich assortments of red and brown and yellow autumn. What's up in that tree? A pumpkin tree. A Halloween tree. The pumpkins on the tree were not mere pumpkins. Each had a face sliced in it. Each face was different. Every eye was a stranger eye. Every nose was a weirder nose. Every mouth smiled hideously in some new way. 
There must have been a thousand pumpkins on this tree, hung high and on every branch. A thousand smiles, a thousand grimaces, and twice times a thousand glares and winks and blinks and leerings of fresh-cut eyes. And as the boys watched, a new thing happened. The pumpkins began to come alive. One by one, starting at the bottom of the tree and the nearest pumpkins, candles took fire within the raw interiors, this one, and then that, and then this, and then still another, and on up and around, three pumpkins here, seven pumpkins still higher, and a dozen clustered beyond, a hundred, five hundred, a thousand pumpkins lit their candles which is to say brightened up their faces, showed fire in their square or round or curiously slanted eyes. Flame guttered in their toothed mouths. Sparks leaped out their ripe-cut ears, and from somewhere two voices, three or maybe four voices, whispered and chanted a kind of sing-song or old sea shanty of the sky and time and the earth turning over into sleep. The rain spouts blew spider dust. It's big, it's broad, it's broad, it's bright. It fills the sky of all hollows night. The strangest sight you've ever seen. The monster tree on Halloween. The leaves have burned to gold and red. The grass is brown, the old year dead. But hang the harvest high, oh see, the candle constellations on the Halloween tree. The stars, they turn, the candles burn, and the mouse leaves scurry on the cold wind born. And a mob smiles shine down on me from the gourds hung high on the Halloween tree. The smile of the witch and the smile of the cat, the smile of the beast, the smile of the bat, the smile of the reaper taking his fee, all cut and glimmer on the Halloween tree. Halloween tree. Tree candles were lit in titanic constellations, woven up through the black branches and peeking down through the twigs and crisp leaves, and the tree had now become one vast, substantial smile. Gosh! Hey, what kind of place is this? I mean, first the house, that woman with no treats and only tricks, and now... I never saw a tree like this my whole life. Like a Christmas tree, only bigger, and all the candles and the pumpkins? What's it mean? What, what's it celebrate? I don't know, but just look at these huge piles of leaves under the tree. They must be five feet high in some places. And the children ran and dived at the huge, lovely pile of autumn treasure. And in the moment of diving, about to vanish beneath the leaves in crisp swarms, yelling, shouting, shoving, falling, there was an immense gulp of breath, a seizing in of air, 
The children yelps pulled back as if an invisible whip had struck them, for coming up out of the pile of leaves was a bony white hand, all by itself, and following it, all smiles, hidden one moment, but now revealed as it slid upward, was a white skull, and what had been a delicious pool of oak and elm and poplar leaves to thrash and sink and hide in now became the last place on all this world the children wanted to be for the white bony hand was flying on the air and the white skull rose to hover before them Yes, help. The tall woman in dark clothes soared up out of the leaves, taller and yet taller. She grew like a tree. She put out branches that were hands. She stood framed against the Halloween tree itself, her outstretched arms and long, white, bony fingers festooned with orange globes of fire and burning smiles. Her eyes were pressed tight as she roared her laughter. <laughs> Her mouth gaped wide to let an autumn wind rush out. <laughs> not treat, children. No, not treat. Trick, children. Trick, trick. <laughs> yes, that, that was a trick you'd forgotten. No, you never knew. Well, well, Tina. Tina, is that you? Are you the skeleton? Or is it Bob or Candace? No, no, that must be Ralph. Yeah, yeah, yeah all, all of those. those. Well, now, now you know something about Halloween you never knew before. How did you like my trick? Is this the way you used to do on Halloween? This and more. But let me introduce myself. Moundshroud is the name. Caravoria Clavicle Moundshroud. Does that have a ring, children? Does it sound for you? A fine name and a fine night. And all the deep, dark, wild, long history of Halloween waiting to swallow us whole. Swallow us? Yes. Children, look at yourselves. Why are you, girl, wearing that skull face? And you, boy, carrying a scythe? And you, miss, made up like a witch? And you, 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 you don't know, do you? You just put on those faces and old mothball clothes and jump out. But you don't really know, do you? Eh, no. Come to think of it, why am I wearing this? Then wouldn't it be fun for you to find out? I'll tell you. No, I'll show you. If only there was time. It's only 6.30. Halloween hasn't even begun. True. All right, children, come along. 
At the edge of the deep, dark night ravine, she pointed over the rim of the hills and the earth, away from the light of the moon, under the dim light of strange stars. The wind fluttered her black cloak and the hood that half-shadowed and now half-revealed her almost fleshless face. There, do you see it, children? What? The undiscovered country. Out there. Look long. Look deep. Make a feast. The past, children. The past. Oh, it's dark and yes, full of nightmares. Everything that Halloween ever was lies buried there. Will you dig for bones, children? Do you have the stuff? What is Halloween? How did it start? Where? Why? What for? Witches, cats, mummies, dusts, haunts. It's all there in that country from which no one returns. Will you dive into the dark ocean, children? Will you fly in the dark sky? We'd like to, but Pipkin, we've got to wait for Pipkin. Yeah, Pipkin sent us to your place. We couldn't go without him. Here I am. This way. Pipkin, quick. I'm coming. I don't feel so good. But I had to come. Wait for me. I don't feel well. I can't run. Can't. Can't. His figure was small, small, small. There were shadows mixed everywhere. Bats flew, owls shrieked, night ravens clustered like black leaves and trees. The small boy, running with his lit pumpkin, fell. The pumpkin light went out. Light your pumpkin, Pip! Light it! The small figure scrabbling in the dark grass below, trying to strike a light. But in that instance of darkness, the night swept in. A great wing folded over the abyss. Many owls hooted, many mice scampered and slithered in the shadows. A million tiny murders happened somewhere. Light your pumpkin, Pip! Help! A thousand wings flew away. A great beast beat the air somewhere like a thumping drum. The clouds, like gauzy scenes, were pulled away to set a clean sky. The moon was there, a great eye. It looked down upon an empty path. Pipkin, nowhere to be seen. Way off toward the horizon, something dark frittered and danced and slithered away in the cold star air. This is bad. I fear something has taken him away. Where? Where? To the undiscovered country. The place I wanted to show you. But now... You don't mean that thing in the ravine. It, or him, or whatever. That something was death? Did he grab Pipkin and run? Borrowed is more like it. Perhaps to hold him for ransom. 
Can death do that? Sometimes, yes. Oh gosh, Pip, tonight, running slow, so pale. Pip, you shouldn't have come out. So, all the more reason for you to come along. If we fly fast, maybe we can catch Pipkin, grab his sweet Halloween corn candy soul, bring him back, pop him in his bed, toast him warm, save his breath. What say, children? Would you solve two mysteries in one? Search and seek for lost Pipkin and solve Halloween all in one fell dark blow. Yes! Moundshroud Spring, they leaped the fence running and stood by a barn that was frosted over with old circus posters, with banners tattered by wind pasted here thirty, forty, fifty years back. Circuses passing through had left patches and swatches of themselves ten inches thick. A kite, children. Build a kite. Quickly. They blinked. They ran. They scratched with fingernails. They plucked with hands. They seized off strips and patches and huge rolls of animal flesh of fang and piercing eye of wounded fling of blood-red claw of tail of bound and leap and cry. The whole side of the barn was an ancient parade stopped dead. They tore it asunder. Now, Moundshroud knocked down old fence-railing beams and made a rough kite cross and bound them with wire, then stood back to receive the gifts of kite paper as the children flung them in fistfuls. They ran the rope off an old abandoned clothesline strung between barn and abandoned farmhouse. A good ninety feet or more of rope they brought Moundshroud, who snaked it, through her fist until it smote a most unholy smoke. She tied it to the middle of the vast kite, which flapped like a somehow lost and out of water manta ray upon this high, strange beach. It struggled with wind to live. It flapped and floundered on the heaves of tidal air, lay down on grass. Moundshroud stood back, gave a jerk, and lo, the kite flew. A tail! We need a tail! And as the kite slowly ascended the cold river of swift flowing air, each child in turn seized with the wind, spurred by their wits, became more and yet more of the tail. Which is to say that Carly, disguised as a witch, grabbed Tina's ankles, and now the kite had two children for its magnificent tail. All of the children climbed onto the kite in this way, with the grim reaper last, trailing his scythe behind. And the wind flew them high across the stars. Moundshroud ran along the grass to seize the scythe, her cape fluttering, taking air, making wings until she also, very simply, took off and soared. We are sailing off, away, deep into the undiscovered country of old death 
and strange years in the frightful past. Oh, where are we going? Yes, yes. Where? 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 Not where, but when. Two thousand, count them, years before Christ. Pipkin's there waiting. I smell it. Fly! And the moon stopped winking and held very still. And the land was changed. Look! And the sun rose, showing them Egypt, the River Nile, the Sphinx, the Pyramids. Why, it's all new. It's just been built. That means we really have gone back in time, 4,000 years. The kite zoomed down and skirted the sand dunes, flirted over one pyramid, and was drawn as by suction by an open tomb mouth set in a small cliff. The kite broke away, and a thousand shreds of eyes, fangs, shrieks, roars, elephant trumpetings. The Egyptian tomb mouth sucked them in, and Mount Shroud laughing with it. <laughs> Mound Shroud? A long strip of mummy cloth snapped out into the sunlight. The children stared. The linen strip was hundreds of yards long and might, if they wished, lead them down, down into the mysterious deeps below the Egyptian earth. I think we take this path to Pipkin. Well, here I go, just like a tightrope. All of you, come next and next and another and another, quick! Watch for murder, children. Murder! A strange god stood burning on every wall, his face a grand fire of triumph, wrapped in golden ribbons. Why heck, I know who that is. I saw him in a movie once with the terrible Egyptian mummies. Osiris! Yes. Lesson number one about Halloween. Osiris, son of the earth and sky, killed each night by his brother Darkness. Osiris, slain by autumn, murdered by his own night blood. So it goes in every country. Each has its death festival, having to do with seasons, skulls and bones, children, skeletons and ghosts. In Egypt, children, see the death of Osiris, King of the dead, gaze long. For they had come to a vast hole in the underground cavern, and through this hole they could look out at an Egyptian village where, at dusk, food was being placed out in pottery and copper dishes on porches and sills. For the homecoming ghosts, quick now, come find me. This way. No, this. This. They ran along the slender ribbon of mummy wrapping deep into the earth. They turned a corner and stopped, 
For the long linen ribbon wound across the tomb floor and up a wall to wrap around the feet of an ancient brown mummy, which was propped a tilt and a candle-lit niche. Yes, here I am. Mount Shroud, you? The gold mask fell to clang like a bright bell on the floor. Where the mask had been was a mummy's face, a pool of brown mud crinkled by blasts of sun. One eye was glued shut with spider web, the other cracked forth tears of dust and a glint of bright blue glass. Is there some boy there dressed like a mummy? Why, me! See my arms and legs and chest? I used medical bandages. It took me all afternoon to wrap myself up in them to be mummified. Good. Grab the linen strips. Pull. The ribbon unraveled up around, up around to reveal the great ancient reptile nose beak and flaky chin and dry smiling dust powdery mouth of mount shroud her crossed arms fell loose thanks children free no fun being wrapped like some old funeral gift for the land of the dead but hist quick children hop in the niches stand stiff someone's coming play mummies children play dead The children leaped to stand, arms folded, eyes shut, breaths held, like a frieze of small mummies cut in the ancient rock. Into the tomb trudged an army of mourners, in gold and fine silks bearing small sailing ship toys and copper bowls of food in their hands. See the food, the toys, they put the toys in the tombs. So the gods will come play, romp, rust about, and run children happy to the land of the dead. See the boats, kites, jump ropes, toy knives. But look at the size of that mummy. It's a 12-year-old boy in there, like me. And that gold mask on the mummy's face. Doesn't it look familiar? Hipkin! Yes, it's me. I'm here. Under the mask, under the wrappings. I can't move, I can't yell, I can't fight free. I can't help it, I'm trapped. The mourners, they're taking me away. Follow me, find me. Follow you where, Pipkin? Meet you where? The long night is young. We'll see Pipkin again, never fear. Then, Is that why I'm dressed like a mummy? Is that what my part of Halloween is all about? Oh, boy. Oh, the Egyptians, why, they built to last. Ten thousand years they planned for. Tombs, children, tombs. Graves, mummies, bones, death, death, death was at the very heart, gizzard, light, soul, and body of their life. Tombs and more tombs with secret passages so none might be found, so grave robbers could not borrow souls and toys and gold. You are a mummy, boy. 
because that was how they dressed for eternity. Spun up in a cocoon of threads, they hoped to come forth like lovely butterflies in some far, dear, loving world. Know your cocoon, boy. Touch the strange stuffs. We hope that you enjoyed part one and special thanks once again to Katie and Kenny from the Haunted Heart podcast for working with us on this project and bringing it to life. We look for the exciting conclusion, the Halloween tree part two on October 15th. Until then, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. (laughs) 